0: Yo, it's good to be here. How you guys doing? Come on. Bunch of happy campers. Met like four new people already today, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, If I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I have the opportunity to be on staff with this college ministry, and if you're new here to Salt Company and you're kind of wondering what we are or what we're asking God to do through us, uh, we are a college ministry of Salt City Church, a local church here in Minneapolis uh, and St. Paul, and we have a vision of seeing Eight campuses in the city of St. Paul reached and the city of St. Paul renewed. And so if you have any questions on that, we'd love to get to know you. Uh, But I just want to do a quick intro into our panel as we kind of learn from really, really godly, mature disciples of Jesus on what it looks like to pursue a path of holiness. And uh, guys, I don't know about you guys, but when I first came to faith, I kind of saw holiness, this idea of being more like Jesus formed into the image of God as a dichotomy with happiness. Okay, so I thought holiness was a dichotomy to happiness. And here's how that kind of played out. I thought that if I were to live a holy life, a life that saw the law of God as beautiful and righteous and perfect and lived out of the gospel calling that I had, that I would inevitably become unhappy. That if I were to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the result would be unhappiness. But if I wanted to live a happy life, I'd have to live an unholy life. And our hope for you tonight is that you would have practical tools and information on what it looks like to live a truly joyful life, which isn't a dichotomy between happiness and holiness, but rather that true happiness to joy comes from living out the life of Christ. And here's why we know that. It's because Jesus was simultaneously the most holy person to ever live and the most joyful person to ever live. So if he had that right, we want to lean in and ask God to do that in us. And so As we enter into the panel, the last thing I wanna tell you guys is, um, anything that is said from this stage tonight is for your good. And actually, not just for your good, but for your joy. And our desire for you is not that you would live a dry, apathetic Christian life, but that you would be made into the image of God and that true disciples would be birthed from this place to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that only happens by asking the question, who are you becoming? And our hope is that by the end of your college career, you will be made more like Jesus. And that is our ultimate goal and our ultimate joy and something that Jesus would love to do in your life. And so as you're kind of answering or as you're like listening to the answers of these questions, I just ask that you would lean in, that you'd have a teachable heart, and you'd be asking Jesus, what in me needs to change so that I can be made more like you? Let me pray as we enter into the panel. Yeah, Father, we want to be people who don't just come to Salt Company on Thursdays, who don't just go to Connection Group once a week, but who are consistently being formed into your image. Jesus, I I want that for me. I'm just excited to hear from godly men and women who have followed you, who have lived out the gospel through tribulations, who have lived out the gospel through the mountains and the valleys. Father, I want to be made more like you, Jesus. So would you do that in me? Would you do that in us tonight? As students are asking questions, Father, I pray that their hearts would be soft, that the soil of our souls would be soft, Father, and that your word, your godly wisdom would impact their life, not just for the next three years, but for the next 60 years of their life. That one day, they would look back on this night as they had a revelation from you on what it looked like to live a life of holiness, and they would look back and say, what a life well lived. A life full of joy and a life full of grace. Father, we believe that this is for our good, and so we trust you in that. Uh, Lord, thanks for these panelists. We love them, and it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.
1: I'm so sorry. <laughs> there you go. Uh, thanks. <laughs> I'll take this one for Thanks. Hi. Oh, my goodness. Okay, now I'm situated. <laughs> Guys, I am so stinking excited for you guys to learn from these three tonight. Like, so over, overly excited. Um, yeah, because they just are people that are near and dear to my heart, and um, are super wise, like Tony said. So I just want to give them the opportunity to introduce themselves in just a couple sentences so you kind of know who's talking, you know? Ooh, Austin, starting, <laughs> starting off.
2: Hey. <laughs> yeah, wow. Oh, you guys are awesome. Um, my name is Austin. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm on staff at the Salt Company at the University of Minnesota. But I have actually been here a few times, and it's been a joy. Uh, maybe I should give a fun fact about myself. Um, this is a, a slight plug for overseas trips. Uh, who applied? Come on. Let's go. It's going to be amazing. Okay. Yeah. The- very short story, I was overseas. Uh, I went the same summer that Rachel went it was fantastic, but I ended up getting to go to the emergency room in China because I hit my head on one of my teammates' heads and my face burst open and it was bloody and super nasty. And then I went to a Chinese emergency room and they shaved off half my eyebrow and then they stitched me up. It was fantastic, so yeah. But my is Austin, hey.
3: Hi. My name's Kaylee Hunting and I have both of my eyebrows. <laughs> Um, but I am married to Dave, and we have two little girls, Kate and Violet. And Salt Company is super dear to our hearts. My husband became a believer in college through the Salt Company. And we really love Salt St. Paul because we love Tony and Rachel and Soph and the crew that's leading Jack. Um, Rachel was in my D group when she was a student. So I've had the joy of walking with her. And Tony lived in our house for two years. So we love Tony. We love St. Paul.
4: And I'm just an old dude they found at the bus stop and they needed a third. And, and I said yes because they offered free food. Nice. That's horrible. Oh my gosh. That's, that's it. I'm just going to try to say something that helps y'all.
1: Oh, gosh. Oh.
4: My name is Terry.
1: <laughs> this is hilarious. Goodness. Oh goodness. Okay. Whew. sorry. <laughs> Give it up for our panelists. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So these three, like Tony said, we're just gonna go through some super practical tips on how, how to follow Jesus in college. That's what tonight is about. And so yeah, I just want to just start off by saying the decisions you make today and tomorrow and the next day matter. They matter to God. They matter to us. And I hope that they matter to you. It it sets you up for a trajectory for the rest of your life. And I hope that at the end of your life, you can look back to tonight and tomorrow and this weekend and say, Thank you, God, that you were there with me and helped me by your spirit to be obedient to your word. Anyway, so tonight, most of the questions that we got asked were about drinking and partying. So we're going to start off there. You know, we're going to go there. We're going to go to sex and relationships. And then we just got some random questions. But let's go. Here we go. As we start, Terry... Some of these things are in the Bible and are explicitly in the Bible and have the Bible has things to say about some of these things, but some things aren't necessarily as explicitly in the Bible. How, how do we approach things that aren't explicitly written in God's word but are important to God?
4: I think that's really easy. Honestly, you think about the education that you're pursuing right now, and you're being taught how to address situations successfully uh, based on principles and ideas and concepts. They can't can't predict what you're going to encounter, but they can give you a strategy to face it successfully. And so there are principles in God's word that are just fundamental life wisdom. Um, What choices contribute to yours and someone else's happiness and in what ways is it coercive or manipulative? And you are trying to build yourself up. So, so I don't think it, God intended us to be thinkers. You know, not, He calls us sheep because we, we are not always aware of the danger around us, and we are defenseless. But he is wanting to equip us to be wise. So, so I just think it's know God's word, know him, ask for help. And, and he'll lead you successfully. I'm here because I'm a survivor of, of being stupid. And <laughs> it's got like the old buck who's still alive. Well, he must've done something right. And, and so that's, that's what I, th- I would say.
1: That's good, that's good. So with that in mind, let's get started. Um, so I'm just gonna kick us off with drinking. G- panelists, do we have any thoughts on how a Christian should approach underage drinking? Someone who's not yet 21, so it's not legal for them to drink. How should a Christian approach drinking?
2: Great question. <laughs> yeah. Man, this stuff matters. Uh, I feel like sometimes college is synonymous with partying. Sometimes college is this time where it's you're leaving the the high school, the leaving the recommendations of your parents and finally get this idea that you can, oh, I get to do whatever I want right now. Um, but I think approaching this, um, what what really I think we need to be thinking about is first of all, like biblical wisdom over this entire topic, but also um, seeing what explicit things are in scripture for advising us around alcohol and drinking. And so for people that are under the age of 21, Romans 13 talks about submitting to governing authorities because they're there for a reason. God put them there. And so actually one one way that we obey God is by obeying the law of the land. So in America, that means obeying the law that you shouldn't drink alcohol under 21 years old. So plain and simple, I think it's pretty straightforward in God's word that if you're under 21, that alcohol isn't for you. And so a way that that's for your joy is because obeying God is, is there's joy on the other side of that. And so I think we can come to our own conclusions that like, oh, man, if I'm 20 and 11 months, what's really the difference between me now and in a month? And I think, yeah, the thing that we need to really start thinking about is straight up, is it obedience or is it disobedience? Call it what it is. And uh, we can honor God with just that straightforward understanding of obeying the law of the land. And so drinking and partying can be super nuanced. But if we look at it straightforward to, yeah, what, what does the Bible say about alcohol? I think that's pretty straightforward.
1: That's really good. What about,
4: oh, Terry, what's I, up? I just wanted, I wanted to share a quick story uh, that a friend of mine shared with me regarding how he dealt with this from his son heading to prom, so younger than you guys, but heading to prom, a lot of drinking potentially. Uh, the guys in his little group had saved up enough money to actually have a chauffeur for their, I think there was three couples. And he came to his dad, had this kind of relationship, and said, Dad, uh, it's prom night, everybody's going to be drinking, and I just want you to know, and I want your permission, actually. And his dad went, wow, I'm blown away that you asked me and told me on the front end and didn't try to hide it. But he (laughs) said, my position as a dad is to say no, and this is why. He said, if you want to know what it's like to drink alcohol, I'll sit down at the table in the kitchen, and we'll start chugging beers and do whatever you want so you can do that. He said, but if you, if you drink when you're going out with your friends on this night, you will associate the fun that you're going to have anyway with drinking, and you'll start thinking that the only way I'll have fun tonight is if I'm drinking, and so the dad said, you know, it isn't about you cannot drink. It's that how, how does it affect you? And how does it, how does it affect your decision-making? And I don't want you to think it's the only way to happiness. So.
1: Yeah. Wow, that's good. Wow, that was free. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> How do we then think about drinking when we do turn 21? If we don't drink until we're 21 and then we turn 21, how do we approach drinking alcohol as it's legal?
2: Yeah. So this is, I love what Tony said about who are you becoming? So every moment, even in college is actually training you to become, training you for a future moment. It's making you into a person. And so there are so many instances where maybe, maybe you're in the boat right now where you're like, yeah, I don't want to drink until I'm 21. But then we've seen this happen where people are are they understand that, they, they don't want to uh, disobey the law, so they, they say, I'm not going to drink until I'm 21, but then once they turn 21, they just kind of go crazy and um, fall into a lot of drunkenness or abusing of alcohol, and I think we it's just important for us to understand that each moment is preparing us for a future moment, and so... Um, When you look at what type of relationship do you want to have with alcohol, well, you can look at, first of all, the hurt that alcohol can do, and that can just be really sobering is even the right word for that. Like, we can just understand, wow, that's like it is a depressant that suppresses our self control, and that has a lot of hurtful effects. But even biblical wisdom about it, many places in scripture, uh, Ephesians 5 talks about don't get drunk off of wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, And it's this whole idea of not being controlled by another substance. But actually, as Christians, we want to be led by the Spirit. And so one way that we do that is by not letting the alcohol control us, right? And that can go for anything that we're even addicted to, whether that be pornography, masturbation, drugs, um, sex, Alcohol, like all of this stuff can be a controlling influence in our lives, but we're instructed against that we 're instructed to be filled with the spirit, and that's actually the lead the leader of our life and so um for those of us that are above twenty one um, I think yeah <laughs> nice uh, surprise yeah there there are places and times where you can drink alcohol um the bible doesn't talk about not drinking at all but it does talk about not getting drunk and so um maybe we can talk about maybe you two even have some advice about just like what is the line of drunkenness or or whatnot but yeah there is that the idea that we shouldn't be led by another substance um yeah i think that's really helpful
1: yeah That is super helpful. Yeah, Kaylee, what would you say about, can I be buzzed? Can I, like, what
3: is too drunk? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's hard when you say, like, what's the line, because I think a lot of times the motivation behind that question is, how close can I get to the line without messing up? Or sinning, but I think actually that question, the motivation should be: How do I honor God and see Him as holy in all of my decisions, and not try to inch up close this line, but actually just stay away from the line? So I think it's God's kindness that He even allows like that feeling of like being buzzed in the sense of that it is like a warning light of like, ooh, you should slow down or stop, you know, or that. Um, yeah, I just lost my train of thought. The buzzed, the. We're um, rewinding in the brain. This happens when you get older. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Let me jump in. Yeah, go for it, Terry.
4: <clears throat> uh, when I was your age, I was a mess, I did not live wisely, and, and didn't have wisdom, and have consequences in my life because of it. Um, but what I would encourage you to evaluate is, because I'm not naive, Not no one in this room is really, drinking is available and seductive. And, and you have and or will be drawn into it. But just be honest about what does it inspire in me? Is it is it uh, towards loving and serving someone else and making wise choices that I won't regret. So I think it's really about just being candid and honest with what's the impact in me? It, you know, if you, yeah. And I think you're all sharp enough to reach your own conclusion.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember the thought. The moment that your, your judgment begins to be impaired is the moment that it's too far. The moment that you would do things that you wouldn't do in your natural state is too far. Yeah. And I also would encourage you to ask yourself the question, why am I pursuing alcohol? Why am I pursuing to get drunk? And I would say that you know, like if you're seeking acceptance by peers, you're accepted by Christ. If you're seeking to escape from the problems of the world, um, you can find comfort and peace in Christ and not in this fleeting experience. If you're seeking to have this really like high enjoyment and pleasure, Jesus talks about the greatest joy is found in him. Um, so I think just even evaluate your motives. Why are you seeking that? And how is that a fleeting thing that will disappear compared to what Christ offers? There's the thought. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> got it. Let's go,
1: Kaylee. <laughs>
3: that's awesome.
1: Yeah, and for some of you in here, and we actually just got a text about this. I have the text on my computer, by the way, if you're wondering. <laughs> um, it, like, what? What about the person who's like, I'm really not interested in drinking, but my friends go out and my friends go to house parties and they're drinking. How do I apo- approach those friendships, or should I be going to those parties? Can I go if I don't drink? How do how do I just um, how do I love them well and um, remain obedient? Mm.
4: Okay. <laughs> um, what I. I first wanted to say is that uh, you're going to have to figure out for yourselves whether being with them is encouraging them to live wisely or if they see you not partying in the same way that they are partying and generally happier and your life is more under control than theirs, that's gonna be just a great witness to them. Um, and parenthetically thrown in here is that I have, I, when I was your age, I was pursuing fun and recreation any, any, uh, completely apart from God's kingdom. And, <laughs> and I have now been adopted into his family and been introduced to his pleasure. And nothing, nothing that this world offers you as good as it is compares to the goodness that God is offering us. So just say, taste and see what really is good. What what has no regret?
1: Anything to add?
2: <laughs> just like think critically. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, that's the encouragement that I would have Don't just assume that you need to totally discount um, spending time with your friends doing what they love. But I think we need to be honest about what we're witnessing, too, like Terry was saying. Like, uh, is going to a party and choosing not to be drunk or not to drink uh, witnessing lovingly uh, to Christ? Or is it, yeah, are you doing it for other motives, and, and do you think that it's actually valuable. Uh, so just think critically. And, and if you're actually, if, yeah, if you're struggling with that and, and have more questions, definitely just invite community into that and help uh, in, investigate the nuances of your specific situation. Because I think, especially for this one, this question, it's a lot more investigation into the specifics could be just really helpful for uh, how to love your friends super well.
3: I would also add, if you're in a place of trying to fight sin, and that's a place of temptation for you, it's probably not the wisest environment for you to be in right away. Um, So walk in the light, walk in community, and think critically.
1: That's That's so good. Yeah, and I think when we think of partying, the first thing that comes to our mind is drinking, and that's why we've been talking about drinking, clearly. But There's something else that like has come to even my mind when I think about parting and what I've been seeing just a lot of lately is um, immodesty. And so, Kaylee, what would you say to the men and women in this room um, as they think about modesty? Like why and what and how?
3: (laughs) Sure. Um, The Bible talks to Christians and describes your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit which is such an incredible honor that we get to carry as Christians. And the point of that is that we, in our lives, get to draw attention to how awesome Jesus is. Um, So if I had to define modesty, I would describe it as anything in your appearance that draws people's attention to you rather than drawing people's attention to Christ. Um, And I think this is for both men and women in the room. And my motivation for dressing modestly comes from, one, um, I wanna honor the Lord. Like I see him as king and Lord of my life and I wanna bring honor to him. Two, I want to honor myself. Like I want to be confident in myself and not how I perceive other people perceive me. And then thirdly, I want to honor my brothers and I want men to honor their sisters. Um, in a way that encourages them to pursue holiness and not to stumble um, based on what I'm choosing to wear or how I'm choosing to dress.
1: That is so good. And I think um, what I would just point out once again is anything that distracts people from, from fixing their eyes on the Lord and fixing them on you is considered immodest. And so... Yeah, like Kaylee said, that applies to the men in this room as well. I don't want this just to be something that females are hearing. If if you walk in a room and you hope that your outfit, like, makes everybody think you're the coolest person ever, I would, like, actually just ask you to, like, look in um and see what the motivations are of why you're choosing to do that. Um yeah, but we also, so there's partying. Hey, let's go. We also got questions on dating and sex. So I'm going to address some of those. Let's go. Who's ready? <laughs> um, so, panel, why, why do we date? What's the purpose?
4: Why do we date? <coughs> For fun. Duh right? <laughs> like <yeah>. okay, <laughs> we just want to enjoy life, and that looks like a probable path. Um, so more philosophically, we date because there's been this fairy tale of happiness comes when the right man and the right woman fall in love and live happily ever after and um and so the reality is that I think that 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 dating is pursuing that that dream outcome. So if that is the case, then you should be, when you're dating, not saying, is this the person I can have fun with tonight, but do I like who I am when I'm with this person? And is this someone that I'd wanna share the bad times and the good times of life with? So it's it's really this discovery of, who am I spending time with? Because I had, Okay, true confessions. <laughs> um, I have a child out of wedlock from somebody that was very fun to date but was really hard to live with. So just I'm just being honest. There there are scars from choices that we make every day. And um, he's my oldest son, and we're in some business ventures together, and I have a great relationship with him, but there has been decades of pain associated with that as well Mm -hmm. so the dating is to find out is this person really somebody who has my back and and inspires me to be the person I want to be
1: yeah are there any other characteristics you would add for someone that you should look or some things you should look for while you're dating Mm,
3: first of all I just want to say thanks Terry for being just honest about your life we just are so blessed by your Authenticity on stage, so thank you. Um, I think, how I'd answer that question is, I think the first thing that you should look for is, does this person love Jesus more than me? Um, Is this somebody who is going to point me to Jesus in the really hard stretches of life? Um, And I would say don't settle for anything less because the most lonely people I know aren't single people. The most lonely people I know are my Christian friends who are married to non-Christians. And to not be able to share the most, like the core, most in- integral part of your life with the person you're sleeping next to, it's a really lonely place to be. So have high expectations, marry someone who loves the Lord and so date someone who loves the Lord. Yeah. Um, I think secondly, uh, practically speaking, you should look at how they interact with their, like if they're a guy, how they interact with their mom. And if they're a girl, how they interact with their dad. Because that's like the closest relationship that they have that might give you some insight and in what that relationship would look like with them in the future. Um, my third piece of advice is don't hang out with them just one-on-one because you only see one side of them in a one-on-one relationship. But see how they interact in different context and who they are and who brings out different parts of them and then my fourth piece of advice (laughs) that's it Um, is can you have fun with them like are they your friend because attraction will fade but you want someone to go through the peaks and the valleys who you can just laugh with and have fun and have a sweet friendship with those are my four that's great
1: (laughs) hope someone wrote that down (laughs)
3: Um, so,
1: Kaylee, once I've found this dreamy person uh, with that meets all four of my criteria, <laughs> what does, um, yeah, what does pursuing purity look like with them? I'm gonna ask you another "What's the line?" question. Yeah. But what's the what's the line? Can can we have sex? If we can't, then what? How far is too far um, in that relationship?
3: Oh, you're giving me hard questions, yeah. Rachel. <laughs> The question is, what is pursuing purity in a relationship look like? Yes. All right. Um, you are seeking to honor the other image bearer that you are dating. They are an image bearer of Christ. Their, you're not guaranteed to be married to them, so that person you're dating might end up marrying somebody else. And so it's like, how do you date them in such a way that you would be invited to their wedding? You know, like How do you pursue purity to honor them well? Um, so Jesus his teachings are good and they lead to joy and he um, says that we should not have sex outside of marriage not because he wants to prevent us from having fun but because he wants to protect us um, this is this is a really cool fact that like um, when you like sex is like glue and so when you have sex with someone it bonds and unifies you in a unique way that you cannot be bonded to any other person. So if you do that outside of marriage, it creates this faux intimacy where you feel really close to someone where there is absolutely no commitment level to that person. But within marriage, it's a beautiful gift because it really unites two people together. And so I'd say Fight for purity in a way to honor God, to honor yourself, to honor the person that you're dating. Um, And it will be the sweetest gift ever because like I said, you want to marry your best friend and the way you build friendship is by getting to know a person and spending time with them, not just by being alone with them in bed. So do you want me to get a little more specific by what I mean by that? Yeah, I mean, anybody on the panel have like, specific,
1: like, how do we think about the line with specifically relating to sexual purity?
4: I, I have a thought. <laughs>
2: <That> <laughs> has, yeah.
4: It has nothing to do with this line of questioning. It's a dad joke. <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I, I promise. Uh, so I, I resonated with what you said, Kaylee, about sexual intimacy is relational intimacy. At least it, it feels like it. Um, the reason that God suggests, advises, don't have premarital sex, isn't to keep you from having the, f- the sensual pleasure of it, but it's because you're going to need that glue because marriage isn't easy. You know, it just isn't. It's, it's two selfish people getting together and trying to compromise in a loving way. And, and so sex is one of those things that is, keeps you bonded. Okay, we're in this together. So um, it isn't, God, remember, God designed sex. He created man and woman and said, be fruitful and multiply. It's God's idea. He knows it's gonna be, be fulfilling. But he also knows there is a timing, and it prevents you from making a decision in uniting your life to somebody that you're not going to enjoy the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So
3: that's a thought. I have another thought. You will never regret the things you don't do. Oh, that's... Yeah. Wow. You know. wow. I could elaborate on okay. that, but I think it's... Yeah. Pretty clear. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Man. Okay, any other just, like okay, I'm with my boyfriend or girlfriend in yeah. a room alone and we like, you know, wanna show each other we love each other or whatever. <laughs> like, how's like what is like, I like wouldn't do that okay. with my dating I'm gonna partner. be real with
3: you guys, pretending like, they, like, you're my younger siblings, right? And so you wanna have an honest conversation. So if I were sitting across the table from you, here's some practical advice I'd give. I think that's yeah. helpful. Because yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. easy to talk in vague terms yeah. and be like, what are you talking about?
1: Uh-huh.
3: I, okay, f- personally, Dave and I, before we were Christians, were sexually impure. So we knew we had um, really high weaknesses. So we were kind of extreme when we started dating. We said, we're not going to kiss until we get married. And we made it till a few months before our engagement, and it was great. Um, but it made fighting for purity so much easier because it didn't even open the door. Like all physical intimacy is, it's designed to be an on-ramp to lead to sex. Mm -hmm. So we're like, let's not even get on the ramp. Let's just hug and be friends. (laughs) But it was so freeing because I trusted him. Um, But other, I think these are just some practical, like things that could be helpful, is that for us, we said, we're gonna be vertical. We're not gonna be horizontal together because we just know our limits. We know that that will lead to another thing. Um, This is digging way back in the brain. We said, um, we like clothes are there for a reason, so we're not gonna take them off, and we're not gonna put our hands under the clothes because they're there for a reason. Um, We said, we're not gonna touch on swimsuit areas because I wanna respect you. And I don't, like if I were to touch that, like I would be um, doing that for myself, not to love you, because I don't want what's best for you in that moment. Um, Yeah, those are a couple little things that were helpful for us. Those are
1: super helpful and practical.
3: And like, I've even
1: heard it said, and this is like, once again, I'm sitting across from the table, you're my little sibling. Like if your body is preparing to have sex, you should probably like take a moment and ask what you're doing and like psychologically and physically, wow, like this isn't what something that I'm made to do right now. I should probably take a step back. Yeah. And I loved what you said, Kaylee, like we're doing these things outside of marriage selfishly. It's like I want to like make myself feel good as I'm or whatever it is, feel more secure in this relationship. I don't know what the reasoning is, but it's likely a selfish motivation outside of marriage. Yeah,
3: Yeah, and I want to tag on what Austin said back with alcohol is like, the decisions you make today influence who you're becoming. Um, So in your dating, it's an opportunity for you to build trust with the person that you're dating. Mm -hmm. So because I saw Dave fight for purity, inside of marriage, I'm trusting that he's fighting for mar- or outside of marriage while we were dating. I'm trusting that that character is the same as we are married, that he, my husband, is fighting for purity within marriage, so that when he goes on a week-long work trip, I have no anxiety about that, because I trust his character, because he demonstrated that to me while we were dating. Yeah, what about
1: for the people in the room who are like, I'm too far gone. Like I've already crossed every line. Like me, my partner and I, we've already had sex or we've already crossed these lines. What would you say to those people in the room tonight?
2: Um, first thing I'd say is I get it. Uh, I was there and that's hard. Um, so hear all of this advice, uh, not with a voice of condemnation, but we're alongside you. Uh, wanting to choose the path of life and joy that Jesus offers. So, um, yeah, we know it's tough, but the sweet thing is that you're not too far gone, and still the invitation for you, even if you've crossed lines, is to come back and to, hit, to master the restart button. And, um, yeah, with your partner or your girlfriend, boyfriend, Reestablish some boundaries that that, um, you can help each other fight for purity. Um, One of the biggest things is being on the same page. So just would encourage you uh, a couple of things. First of all, um, if you haven't yet, invite people around you into this struggle. Don't try to conquer it by yourself. Uh, that's just really. That's just gonna make it way harder and um, so much easier to just fall right back into where you were, and it can be this pattern of of failure. So, just want to in- invite you talk about the mistakes or the, or the the lines that you've crossed, and then ask for help for how you can practically turn from that. Um, but then, with the person that you're engaging in sexual activity with talk honestly with them about expectations that you have so that you can be on the same page. Um, Because often where lines are crossed is where assumptions are being made or where there's this weird gray area of if we should or shouldn't do something. Um, So all that to say, even if you have crossed a line, there's grace for you and there's a better life on the other side of obedience. And uh, I was talking with with Colin earlier today, which is, which is Rachel's husband. He's great. Um, but we were talking about, okay, sometimes it feels weird to feel like you're taking, you're like taking a step back. You're regressing with, uh, your boyfriend or girlfriend if you're stopping having sex or whatever. But this line Colin said, and it was awesome. He said, take the step of physical regression so that you can have relational progression come on wow. that's that's Colin that was him I thought it was really Colin's good mine. Um, yeah, physical regression for relational progression because like Kaylee was saying um, while you're dating, the way that you interact with sex actually will lead into how you view sex even in marriage uh, the good husbands the faithful husbands, the faithful wives aren't made once you are married they're made r- right now and how you view sex and trust and loyalty so
1: that's so good wow yeah and I just want to say that I mean there's obviously like a weight right now to what we're talking about guys premarital sex or premarital premarital sexual intimacy is not the unforgivable sin guys mm-hmm. if that was true we would be in big trouble, like all four of us, (laughs) and so just like, it's not, and if you're living in it, just repent, and ask Jesus to help you, ask the Spirit to help you um, turn from your ways, and um, yeah, experience freedom and joy in, yeah, purity, but okay, I think we all just need to take a deep breath and maybe do a little shimmy shimmy because we're <laughs> heading into the random questions, which is a big hard turn. So just uh, you know, just let it out, okay. <laughs> oh goodness. This is like a hard shift. I'm just I'm just letting you know. <laughs> so Terry. <laughs> These are straight from the text, bring it in, bring it in, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Okay, this is straight from the text messages, so you can still send in texts. I've been getting some. Um, Terry, how do I prevent myself from idolizing my major or career? I have to put in so much time working for it, sometimes I feel like I put too much energy towards it and it seems like I spend more time with that than God.
4: Well, I've discovered it myself and observed it in humanity. We all are going to worship something. We, are, we tend to worship things or people or experiences. And I think the, the bottom line here is God understands that there is a harvest time in farming. And you've got to work long hours to get the harvest in. You might be in that season right now. The thing that I look for in my life is do I enjoy opening up God's word? Because if, I, if I'm not experiencing that, that means that I have drifted away from uh, the relationship that I typically enjoy. So I have uh, a, a diligent, active pursuit of God by every morning spending time in his word because I know that I'm prone to wander and I want to be reminded that he's real and he's real good and that he loves me as I am and I just need to set that context for my day so you're going to be the one that determines whether or not anything is becoming an idol in your life and is it robbing you of the relationship you have been invited to have with God Himself, so, so, I I think you know there, He wants us to be excellent in everything that we do. He's not asking for mediocrity from His children, but He wants to share the relationship with you. So nurture nurture it.
1: We just um, actually got a question in kind of relating um, to what you just said. How would you deal with kind of the opposite? of not being motivated in school or work um yeah as a christ follower
2: um first corinthians 10 talks about doing all things to the glory of god whether you're eating or drinking or doing anything to the glory of god so um an encouragement for me has been just to like look at life and look at whatever task that I'm doing and wondering how can I do this to glorify God and when it comes to schoolwork uh, I think God cares about schoolwork and enjoys when we're um, like actively trying to learn more about his creation and learn more about his world and so uh, we just invite you into that same sort of thought process it's even it might take some work even to get to that that, like, thought process, like, the same way it can take work to open up your Bible, and love that. Um, There's a lot of things in life that, like, takes discipline in order for us to actually, like, properly enjoy a certain thing. I, I, I think of worship music, even, and the way that we, like, gather here. Sometimes, You come, you walk into Salt Company, and you're just like not feeling it, and you're just like not even right, not motivated for some reason to worship a holy God, though He deserves our worship. And so, what do we do? One thing that's helpful for me, and we see this in the Psalms that David, we 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 command ourselves, we like use our arms. To discipline our body, so that our spirit would follow, and so something that we can do even for schoolwork is to look at the discipline of our homework as a way to, hey, let me let me just invest myself into this schoolwork and ask that God would renew in my spirit this like excitement to do it to the glory of God, um, and also sometimes. I would get in this weird thing where I would, like, see these hyper-spiritual things and think that that was time with God and that everything else wasn't. Uh, That's just not true. (laughs) And we can actually commune with God in many different ways. I was talking with uh, a buddy that plays hockey, and he was talking to me about the ways that he's learning how to commune with God while he's out on the rink. like. Tossing around the puck. I think that's awesome. So, like, in all things, we can figure out ways to actually be with God while we're doing things. And I think that even works with schoolwork. It's a mystery, but it's awesome. And I think it's real. That's so good. Terry.
4: I want to chime in. I like that you brought Scripture into that. And and I kind of, my mind went to Galatians 6, 7, and 8. and And that just essentially says you will reap whatever you sow. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And if you're not sowing any seeds, you're not gonna have any harvest. And so, um, so it's just the reality is, what do you do when you're confronted with no ambition? Is just realize that you're, you have a choice of two hard things. Hard thing of doing something, and hard thing of not getting anything. You know, there's, there's hard outcomes on both sides of it, and uh, there's a rumor there's some athletes in the room. You didn't get on the team without practicing and training, right? It just doesn't happen, and that's not always fun. You know I mean showing up early and late and hitting the gym, but there are results from it. So don't think you can get out of the rules of life. You reap what you sow, whatever that is. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you reap life. And, and so I, I think it's just be real. Be mature. Grow up. Do something. <laughs> <laughs> do
1: something. That was good. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, we have so many good questions. Gosh, being asked. Okay. I'm going to do two more, though, because we're coming to an end. <laughs> so... um which one do I do? Oh, someone asked if we were related, Austin. We're not. We're not related at all. Um,
2: uh, on that note, Rachel frequently comments on how we have, like, the sim- similar hair.
1: <laughs> we're not related at all. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> Terry, I really liked this question. So I'm just going to throw it at you. How should Christians approach self love and self care?
4: Wisely. I mean, okay, there are two radically different kingdoms that you are going to be citizens of. They, they don't share any common ground. And, and so the instincts of our sinful nature, our flesh, are going to be suicidal at varying paces, but we will never genuinely love ourselves because we're going to be pursuing selfishly our own fulfillment and our own exaltation. And there's always going to be consequence and someone who's higher up the ladder than you are and so genuine self-love is realizing I've been invited into a kingdom that will never end and continues to improve and improve and improve and I'm not living in it right now it's being prepared for me I have a home there but self-love is understanding the consequences for our daily choices and then and then doing it wisely, and knowledge is not enough. All of us know more than we do, right? Um, for example, procrastination on homework, or a diet that we're not that good at, or, or sleep that we know will do better, the best day begins the night before, and all that kind of stuff. So it isn't just about knowing it, you actually do have to act on the knowledge and Self-love is being honest with which path doesn't have regrets and which path guaranteed will. So expound on it.
3: I think you nailed it. I <laughs> just want to be like you. <laughs>
1: Same. <laughs> Same. God, we picked you up from the bus stop. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, one last question, but before I ask the last question, just want to say again that one of our staff members will be at um, Black Coffee and Waffle Bar Tuesday from 9 to noon. So if you asked one of these other great questions that we didn't get to, like, please come. We'd love to talk to you. Um, Yeah, we would just love to see you there. But last question before we're done for the night. Someone asked... If Jesus forgives, why couldn't someone just live a life full of sinning and wait right until they die to ask for forgiveness and then go to heaven? Why shouldn't we live a life of sin?
3: That's a very good question. Yeah. Um, I think I have three observations in response to that. Um, So the first comes like in a story. So, I say, the first observation is that sin smothers you. Um, There's a story of a man who had a pet python, and this pet python, he loved so much that he let it sleep in bed with him. I think this is a true story. (laughs) If not, just imagine with me, but... After a while, the python stopped eating his normal diet. He stopped eating his food. And this python was huge. And so he talks to the vet, and he's like, why is my python not eating food? And the man said, he's like, he's literally sizing you up, preparing his stomach to eat you, which is crazy. You should never have a pet snake in your bed. Uh But here's where I'm going with that is that we treat sin like that pet snake. And we think that we're in control of that sin and that we have power and dominion over it, but sin, Satan is seeking to destroy you and he's not something to be messed with or trifled with. So I think my first observation, that question is that sin is not for you, sin is against you. I think my second thought to that question is that life is short. So I think that question kind of presupposes that you know when your end will be, mm. and death is certain, um, and you don't know when death will happen for you, and that's weighty, um, but what, mat- what you do in response to the message of the gospel has eternal consequence, and you are not in control of your life. You are not in control of the last minutes of your life. Um, and my third observation on that is that um, I love this verse in Psalm 16. It Psalm 16, says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that is the invitation to the good life. That Jesus offers you life to the fullest and the truest form of joy can be found in him not in what the world has to offer so what the world and what sin has to offer is actually slavery but what jesus offers is freedom and when you experience and when you taste his freedom another psalm says taste and see that the lord is good you don't want to have any taste of what you had before when you meet jesus so that's how i'd answer
1: that question that is so good that is so good Terry, would you pray to close us out tonight?
4: Yeah, I'd love to.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Um,
4: God, I am thankful that you opened heaven up to us and you invited us to rejoin your family. You have invited us to, in fact, share in the inheritance with Jesus, your son. And I thank you that you have a kingdom that will not end, that endures forever. Um, Forgive us, God, when we are nearsighted, virtually blind, and don't realize what that opportunity represents. But I, I just pray in Jesus' name that for every man and woman in here, that they will at least have a chance to see you for who you really are not for who culture claims you are and for how distorted you have been but help us to see jesus and fix our gaze on him in his great name we pray